our text this morning. We're going to take the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians 9. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll take the whole chapter. And a lot of it because we've a lot of the themes that are in there we've already touched on for these last for the series that we've that we've had in uh, giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, our series on tithing and giving generously. And uh, boy, y'all are listening. We had a tremendous offering last week, so that was, um, that was amazing. Uh, I think we had, do you remember what the number was, Jan? Was it over, over 20,000 given toward budget? So if we'll do that every week, we won't have any problems, so keep, up, keep it up. Uh, well, this fall, we took down all the decorations in our living room or what we, whatever we, we call that the office or the front room of our house. You've been, y'all been in there and seen that. Uh, because the parsonage was being repainted. And so we decided this would be a good time since we're having to take everything off the walls. Let's go ahead and redecorate that. We've had the same things on the wall for, for 10 years. And so let's, let's redecorate. Uh, so we took down everything. We put up Christmas. And then as it's gone, uh, with three kids in all these different school activities, uh, with a baby, with my seminary. Melissa had two writing projects at the end of the year and the beginning of the year for uh, writing a Sunday school quarterly for Lifeway and then writing Vacation Bible School for Lifeway. Well, we got really busy and we don't have much on the walls in our living room. So, we, so Melissa's getting tired of it because the social workers come in and we say, we sit down in the living room and say, the ne- hopefully the next time you're here, this will be decorated. It'll, <laughs> it'll look differently. So Friday afternoon, I said, when, after we get off work, uh, why don't we um, hit some antique stores in Wichita Falls, and we'll try to find some things to put on the walls. And so on our way out, they were having a garage sale at the House of Mercy over at the old uh, Presbyterian Assembly of God Church, that old building there on Main Street. They just have it full of things, and they have a, a garage sale. So we went in there. I said, let's go look in there. You know, we might find a treasure. And sure enough, we found a really uh, pretty mirror, and it was $10. And uh, I thought, that's a great deal. So I went over to Allsips because I didn't have any cash on me, and I got $20. I got a, I got a $10 bill and two fives. And so I drove back over to the House of Mercy because I thought, well, I'll get a little extra in case she's found something else she wants, but she hadn't. So we bought the mirror for $10, and we headed to the antique stores. Now, this is a joke, a running joke in the family, that if I'm ever downtown, and if I'm ever in the vicinity of homeless people, what happens? Yeah, I, invariably, uh, they ask me for money, and, and it's like, we know it's going to happen, and so, sure enough, I parked the car, and I just saw out of the corner of my eye, here she came, and uh, so she walks over, and she says, excuse me, sir, I'm homeless. I said, I know, I know. I, I knew you were going to ask me for money. And I said, here's what I got. I got two fives in my wallet. How about I give you one and I keep one for myself? And she said, that sounds great. <laughs> and so, so uh, I said, well, here you have this. And, and uh, she said, thank you so much. And uh, now the question I had after I, after I, I said, I'll just give you half of what I've got. That's what I said. But then I got, I started wondering, would I have given her half of what I got if I had two $100 bills? Or, you know, if I had, uh, uh, you know, $1,000 in my pocket, would I have been happy to give her half? You know, it's hard for us to part with the money, isn't it? It, it, it is. I don't know why when you've got that cash in your pocket. Um, 
and it starts to accumulate, it seems like it's easier when you don't have anything to give away half of what you got. And they do say that those that are in poverty tend to be much more generous than those that have wealth. Of course, they're closer to the actual needs too. But I thought it was interesting just as I was thinking about that in my mind. But normally, we operate with clenched fists. And so, as I prepared for this message, I ran across a story of a man and thinking about how we give and our attitude toward giving and how we have to really teach ourselves to give is that this man every day would put something in his pocket that had some value, a trinket, a pocket knife, a gift or something, and he, a $10 bill, and he would go around looking that whole day for someone to give $10, $10 to. And he said, you know what, when I started doing that and I just started looking and I thought, gosh, you know, that's amazing. I mean, uh, that would only be, that would only cost like 50 bucks a, a week to be very, to, to just make people's day every single day. He said, when I started doing that, he said, I, I uh, it made every day a wonderful day because I was trying to be generous. And he said, it really improved my character and it made me a more generous person all around because I was always looking for ways to be generous. And that really is what we've talked about for the last couple of, uh, three weeks. We've talked about giving. We've talked about the need to be giving uh, sacrificially, to be giving generously, and to be giving cheerfully. Not giving out of compulsion, but giving because that's what we've, uh, we're following Jesus and that's his heart. And so we want that to be our heart as well. So over the course of this series, we've tried to make a couple of points. I'm wrapping it up today. Uh, Number one, I, I think if I was just going to kind of make two general points about our, our studies for the last couple of weeks, is that many people are not generous because they were never taught to be generous. We kind of operate in a default mode of just being selfish. I think our culture encourages us to be selfish in this way. And so generosity must be taught, and generosity must be caught. And we're lucky because we have I shouldn't say we're lucky, we're, we're blessed, <laughs> because we have the greatest teacher, which is Jesus, who teaches us how to give. And then we're fortunate because we're in a church. And what do we learn in a church? From each other. We learn from the body how to be generous, uh, because we have generous people around us that show us what that looks like. So I would just say in church, don't cozy up to the person that's uh, stingy, but cozy up to the people that are generous. Because uh, they'll probably give you money. But uh, not, not just because not just of that. Okay. That was a joke. You could laugh, but you're not listening. Okay. And then the second, <laughs> the second thing is that giving is a spiritual issue. Giving is a heart-level matter. And that's one of the fundamental things about being a follower of Jesus Christ is he makes us into people that are like Jesus, uh, that are like him. And so... Uh, Jesus is concerned, Jesus is not concerned as much with how much is in your bank as he's concerned with your heart. Because he knows if he has your heart, he's got your bank account. So remember that this ultimately starts off as, as an issue in the heart. And so let's talk about, as we finish up, how we are to give. How should, how should we be giving? And so that's what our passage is about today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If we were to state the sermon in one sentence, it would be this. God's people are, I think I made up a word for this, but God's people are to give readily, God's people are to sow bountifully, and God's people are to give gospelly, which I don't know if that's really proper, but I like the way it sounded. So readily, bountifully, and gospelly, so that we will not be ashamed, that we will reap bountifully, and that blessings can be spread 
exponentially. So that's the sermon in a sentence. God's people are to give readily, sow bountifully, and give gospelly, so they will not be ashamed, so they will reap bountifully, and so blessings will be spread exponentially. That's, that's a really long sentence. Uh, I don't know how to make that shorter. Maybe you can work on that in the pew. But there are many ways we could break this chapter down. Here's the roadmap for this message. Verses 1 through 5 talk about readiness in giving. Verses 6 through 9 talk about sowing and reaping. And verses 10 through 15 uh, allow us to reflect on the blessings of giving. So this chapter is interesting because it moves from very practical uh, giving uh, uh, ideas, just you know, get the, get the offering together, guys, pass the plate. And then it ends by Paul talking about the gospel as an indescribable gift. And that's interesting because we move from the gift of giving our money, giving gifts to people that are in need to accomplish the work of God, and then we move to the actual indescribable gift of God in this one chapter. So let's go through the text and see how we get there. Look at verse 1. Everybody, I'm reading an ESV. I'm reading an ESV. Follow along if, you're, if you don't have an ESV because I want us to see something in the text here in this particular translation. So he says, now it's superfluous, it's extra for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your what? I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying, Acacia has been, what? Ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers, remember we talked about those brothers last week, he's sending three people to Corinth to get the offering together. He says, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be what? Ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. For being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So did y'all notice that one word there just keeps being repeated? <laughs> so we're, we're you know, looking at that passage, that first paragraph there, you just see that word ready over and over again. He wanted them to be ready. Now, what does ready mean? Well, that word could be maybe a little bit more helpfully translated for us. Is, uh, don't, he was saying, don't be unprepared. So they kind of stated that in a positive way. He didn't say, don't be unprepared. He said, be ready. But that word means, don't, uh, the word ready here means uh, be prepared. Paul is saying, be prepared. Don't be unprepared. I've been telling everybody, you guys are prepared. You guys are ready. And I'm sending the brothers to come and collect this offering for the Christians in Jerusalem that you've already pledged to give. So when they come, be prepared. Be ready. Don't be unprepared because I've been bragging about you. And if, if they show up and you're not ready, I'm going to be humiliated and you're going to be humiliated. Because you will have not kept your promise. So he says, I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so it may be ready as a willing gift, 
not as an exaction. So here's the difference. Or here's the question. Are you prepared to give? Are you ready to give? Or is it something that has to be grudgingly coaxed out of you? That's what we're talking about here, isn't it? Do you stand as a person prepared to give? Let's, you know, what if I had said to, to Melissa on the way to Wichita Falls, you know, we're going downtown, you know what's going to happen. Someone's going to ask me for money. So let's hit the ATM so we're ready. And then we'd been, instead of just thinking, okay, who's the one that's going to come ask me for money? I'd be like, I wonder which one of these is going to ask me for money. Because we'd be ready to give. There's a difference there in the heart, isn't there? Than the heart that I had and the heart maybe that I should have when I think about being generous. And I know we could talk about, well, don't give homeless people money and everything, but when you get asked for money by the homeless as much as I do, I don't even worry about that anymore. I just like, that's on them, what they do with the money. And, uh, you know, I, I used to say, well, let's go, to, let's go drive to Burger King, get them a hamburger and this and that. I just give them the money and uh, don't worry about it. Just figure that God can work that out with them. But I don't often find myself in a position where I'm just thinking, oh, I'm excited to give money to people. But I, I think this sermon has maybe changed my attitude toward that, is to maybe to see that looking to bless people, especially people that are destitute, uh, with just a few dollars, it's not even that, it's not even that much money, uh, will really help. Now, is it really going to bring them life-altering help? No. But they've got churches up in Wichita Falls that can worry about that. We'll worry about the people here. But when I'm up there, if I can be a little blessing, give someone a little food, I think that's not a bad thing. And so it was interesting, though, that I had that situation right as I was working on this sermon. So I was really you know, thinking about my own uh, generosity and, and whether or not I am myself. I just, talked, I just outlined, to make an outline, are you ready to give? And I found myself not ready to give. So I thought that was one of those deals where, well, preacher, you better learn the lesson before you preach it. Uh, but here, how, do, how are we ready to give when it comes to our giving to the, to the Lord's work here in the church? As we're, we're members of this church. We've, we've covenanted, we read the covenant before every business meeting. And I say, if you agree to live by this covenant, say amen. And you know what everybody says? Amen. <laughs> they say it. And it says in there, we're going to support the work of the church. That's what we covenant to do as members. We've already agreed to do this. I'm not, I, I shouldn't have to stand up here and, and uh, try to convince you to, to already do what you've already promised to do. You already come down, you came down the aisle, you took someone's hand, you were baptized, you uh, were counseled into how to come to Christ, and when you did that, you gave Jesus your whole life. All right, and that included every part of you, even your bank account. It's all his now. So how can I be ready to give? Well, if you make a budget, be ready by first thing right off the top is your giving. You know? Then you're planning, you're preparing, you're setting aside the money to give. You don't live through the whole month and then say whatever's left over we'll give to the church. Because what's going to happen? The church is going to owe some of y'all money, right? You spend all of it and more and you don't have anything left to go to the church. A couple of things to notice here about this readiness, this attitude of preparedness to give, is that ready givers have no shame. What is he saying to them if they're not ready? You're going to be embarrassed because you've made promises that you're not keeping. The ready givers have no shame, verse 4. Verse 5, unready givers run the risk of giving but not giving willfully. So 
we want to give, and we want that to be something that blesses people, but we want that to be something that blesses God. We want that to be something where we're storing up rewards in heaven and not, re- not being rewarded here on earth. But when we don't give in a ready way, when we're unprepared and we're not giving willingly, we're giving begrudgingly. Don't give to the church the way you give to the IRS. That's what he says there at the end of the... He says, I want you to be giving willingly, not as an exaction. Well, the IRS exacts the tax, right? But we don't want to give like that. If we're giving like that to the church, oh, I guess I've got to write this check. Don't even bother. Because you're not... Well, actually, still do it. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I looked back there at Kathy. She was like, don't tell him that. <laughs> But, but, but if you're giving and it's that way, why don't you pray before you write that check? Say, Lord, I'm having a hard time with this. Would you, would you change my heart to where this is something that I'm excited to do? To give to the work of the Lord. To participate with you in ministry, God. And it's interesting that Paul says, hey, I don't want to be humiliated. I've been bragging about you guys all over Macedonia don't humi- That's interesting that humiliation is in there, that idea of being hum- He doesn't want to be humiliated. He doesn't want them to be humiliated. Is humiliation a good way to m- motivate people? Well, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll tell you one thing. We do need to keep our promises. So I, I think that's really what Paul is saying there. He's saying, well, it would be unfortunate if you were humiliated. He's not humiliating them. He's not trying to humiliate them. But they're going to humiliate themselves because they will not be keeping a promise. And so they will be ashamed, and he'll be ashamed. You know, we don't want to get to the end of this race and realize we ran the wrong race. I kind of had an experience like that last week. You know, I was all excited. Uh, I was going to go to the Baptist, uh, the Baptist meeting, executive board meeting, and I, I got my stuff together. I packed my bags. I got gas in the car found some sermons to listen to on the way up there. I drove all the way to Love Field, and I went to the hotel, and I was like, wow, there's, uh, there's so many more parking spaces here than normal. So I went into the hotel, and I went up to where we do registration for our Baptist meeting, and I thought, where is everybody? And I had drove all the way up there for nothing. It turns out that February 6th was the last day to register for the meeting on the 20th. <laughs> But when I read the email, it said, meeting, February 6th. See, I didn't read the whole sentence. It said, last day to register for the meeting, February 6th. It just had meeting, February 6th, in bold. And so I wrote that down on my calendar probably two or three months ago. And I felt like the biggest idiot. You should have seen me walking out of that hotel. Oh, my gosh. I was like, where are the bathrooms? I need to go in there and recover. But I went, I went to the bathroom. I, and then, then I had the lady validate my ticket. You know, like they give you a ticket when you go to the parking. I took it there, and thankfully she didn't charge me. I thought, they're going to probably charge me $5 just for being stupid. Well, they <laughs> but can you imagine if you got to the end of life and that was the case? And you just thought, wait a minute. You mean I did all that for nothing? Nothing I did mattered for anything? What good does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world? but he loses his soul, you know? Don't run the wrong race. What good does it do if you kept all the promises to your bank 
and to your insurance company and the cell phone company and the cable company and the internet and the water bill. Because you know what? Y'all make promises to them and you keep them. You go buy a brand new car and people say, oh, I just can't, I just can't give to the church regularly. I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to have enough money. Then you go down here and buy a car and you promise to pay them like $600 a month for seven or five or seven years? And you don't worry about keeping that promise. But you know what? Your heart wants that car. Does your heart want Christ? Because that's the real difference, isn't it? That's the real difference. It's our hearts. It's what our hearts desire. It's which race we want to run. So make yourself ready. Be prepared. Give sacrificially, generously, give cheerfully. Okay, secondly, we need to give bountifully. Look at verse 6. The point, he says, the point is this. It's nice when the, when the guy writing the Bible says, here's the point. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his what? In his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. It's so interesting he called, the way he uses grace through these, all these chapters. The gift is grace. God is giving you the gift of grace. He's making all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. We have problems giving. You know who has no trouble giving? The Lord. He gives freely. He gives to everybody. He doesn't care what your status is. He doesn't care how much you have. He does it the right way, and he does it forever. Now, this verse is one that the Lion TV preachers take out of context, isn't it? Remember, this is a proverb. What is a proverb? A proverb is a generally true saying. Okay, now, so you don't think that if you put 10,000, it doesn't work like gambling or something or slot machines. You can't put $100 in the plate and then say, well, I, I don't know why I didn't get $500 back. Okay, that's not the way it works. Now, they'll tell you, oh, I had a dream last night, and if you'll give me $38.35, you'll do this. No, don't listen. If you, if, when you see guys like that on TV, just turn them off. Because they're not telling you the truth. They're, they're, they're misrepresenting what God is teaching here. They call this the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. And there's different kinds of versions. Some are more blatant, you know, Robert Tilton, J Jim Baker kind of guys. And then some are less blatant. And, they, and they, they don't necessarily say that you're going to get rich, but they say you're going to be healthy, you're never going to get sick, you're always going to uh, you know, have, have uh, uh, prosperity or whatever, but it'll be in a lighter way that they'll talk about it. Some guys just promise cash, and they, they say, if you'll sow this much in, you'll reap this much. And that's not how this works, okay? But it's a generally true saying, okay? Sort of like, uh, train up a child in the way that he should go when he's old, he won't depart from it. Does that mean that none of your children are going to go wayward? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means generally that if you'll train up a child in the way he should go, he's, gonna, he's, he's not going to depart from it. He's gonna, and, and that's generally what we see as people disciple their children. Are there exceptions to that? Yes. That's why it's not a promise, but it's a proverb. Okay? So, so remember that about this passage. But what would we say about this generally true proverbial saying? It'd be like a farmer. 
Here's what a farmer would say to you, I think, because I talked, talked to John Moses about this one time. We were talking about seed in the gospel. And it's one thing a farmer would say, if you're going to be cheap, don't be cheap with the seed. Why would they say that? Because the, the seed yields back exponentially, 10, 20 fold. Okay, or, or I think that's what John told me one time. I was saying, what is it? Because Jesus says 30, 60, 100. And the farmer's like, if we could get 30, 60, 100, that would be completely amazing. Now, it's not that much, but the seed does yield back in uh, an exponential way. When we give, God blesses. And so you can ask anyone who's a faithful giver. They, they have a they have a, com- a completely different relationship with God than those who don't give. Uh, I-, I learned that myself. It's one of the reasons I'm striving to be more generous is just by being around generous people and seeing how dynamic their walk with the Lord is. How are we to give? Verse 7, give from the heart. Give of yourself. Give unto God cheerfully. And then look there at the, the truth in verse 8. You can underline that. God is able. God is able. He is able to make all grace abound to you at all times so that you'll be, have all the, you'll be sufficient to have everything you need. Yes, but also look at what it says. You may abound. The sufficiency is not just so you would be rich and healthy. The sufficiency is that you may abound in every good work. God's blessing you so that you may bless Him and that you may bless others. And that's why he quotes the Psalms. He says, God doesn't hold back, so you don't need to hold back either. And so we've got the the giving needs to be ready, the giving needs to be done bountifully, and finally we see this giving, how the gospel works in here. So we want to give with the gospel in mind, and give, I said, gospelly. Look, it says in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Is he going to increase the harvest of your money? It says, what does it say there? The righteousness. For you to grow in your sanctification. Not that you would have perfect health and wealth, but that you would be sanctified. That's what God is about. He's about your heart. He's about you developing and cultivating the heart of Christ. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You'll be enriched when God does enrich you in every way, including monetary blessings. Why is he giving you those monetary blessings? What does it say right there in verse 11? So you can be what? Generous in every way. Which through us, as they're giving, you know, go back to the context, Paul says, as you're giving to the Jerusalem church, which through us, you giving this gift, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry, look at verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Think about that when you, when you tithe, when you give. It's not just meeting the need. You're not just, uh, you know, it's so much bigger than just saying, we got to keep the lights on, even though we do have to keep the lights on. There are very practical needs that our money giving meets. I mean, you guys, by your giving, meet all my practical needs in my family. You clothe and put shoes on my family. It's very practical. But it's more than just that. 
as he says, it's not just supplying the needs, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. A healthy church where the people are supplying each other's needs, where they're meeting ministry needs, where they're doing the work of the gospel is also going to overflow in many people giving thanks to God. The emphasis being that people are thankful to God. People are turned toward God. People are pointed toward the Lord and what He's doing. By their, look at verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. He really breaks it down there in verse 13, doesn't he? As we're moving from just practical giving to why we're giving to how we're giving, notice what he says. They're going to approve this gift. They're going to receive in Jerusalem this gift knowing that this gift is being given by Gentiles in Corinth and some Jews, primarily Gentile church, giving to the Jews there, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. And they are going to glorify God, he says. Why? Just because they gave money? Is that what our heart is as believers towards each other? No. He says those Christians in Jerusalem are going to give thanks to God because of your submission. Because of your obedience to the same Lord that they claim is Lord. A submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. They're going to praise God because you're obeying Jesus and because you've confessed that Jesus is your Lord. Basic gospel things there, right? And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Giving is practical, but it's also a a submission to the Lord. It's also a confession of your belief in the gospel. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then what a cool verse there, 15. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. How can we talk about the gospel? Well, in some sense, we can't even find words. It's too wonderful. Thanks be to God, he says, for this inexpressible gift finishes with that flourish of what God has done and what God is doing in the lives of these Corinthians as they are faithful to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. This giving is going, Paul is telling them right here, this giving is providing you assurance that you're genuinely in the faith. You're putting your money where your mouth is and you're loving people that you've never even met or seen. You've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's changing you. It's going to change them. And many others are going to be giving thanks to God because of what you've done. But one might say, does God really need my money? Someone, maybe a skeptic, comes in here and says, Boy, y'all talk a lot about giving money. And I'm sure that's what people think when they see those TV preachers. They don't do much of I'll tell you, how many times have we had, a ser- had sermons on giving and money in the past 10 years? This is it, the last three weeks. <laughs> so we don't talk, I mean, if you're visiting with us, we don't talk about money all the time. If you've just been here for three weeks, you'll think, man, that's all they talk about. <laughs> but that's what, but, but again, the way I preach is you just go through the chapter, and whatever the chapter's talking about, that's what you talk about. 
So the shape of the chapter shapes the messages. These messages are about giving money because that's what God wants us to hear. He wants us to learn how to do it. And so the answer to the question is no, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need your money. God is completely self-sufficient. He, doesn't, he has no lack of anything. So he's not out there just saying, oh, I'm so lonely and I wish I had a relationship with somebody. He doesn't, that's not the way God thinks. God's already had an eternal relationship with the Father, and the, the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was, there, was, there was perfect love and perfect relationship there. He doesn't need anything from anybody. He's certainly not a man. You know, that's silly for us to think that. But what is God is about? God is love, and that love is always moving out. You know, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing about it. He doesn't need us, but he loves us. And so, you need to give. God doesn't need you to give. You need to give for your own good. And he's offering you a way to participate in the work that he's doing. We were in Gospel Project this morning in Sunday school. If you were in Sunday school, and you should be, go next week. John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus says to his disciples, we must work. They're walking by the blind man. They, we must work the works of the one who sent me while it is still day. Jesus says that to his disciples. It's a message to us today that God uses us and God allows us to participate in the work that he is doing. There are things that the disciples could do and there are things that only Jesus could do. Think about the little boy that brings the fish and the loaves. What did Jesus tell the disciples whenever they came to Jesus and said, everybody's getting hungry? You remember what he told them? He said, you feed them. And what did they do? They brought what they could find. <laughs> they went and found the only food that was there, and it wasn't much, was it? And then after they had done what they could do, Jesus did what only he could do. I heard it illustrated this week this way. John chapter 11, kind of the culminating uh, miracle is the raising of Lazarus. Before we move into the, the, the trial and the crucifixion and the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And so there Jesus shows up. Lazarus has already been dead for several days, and Jesus walks up, and what is there in front of the tomb? A giant stone. And so what is Jesus about to do? Well, we know he's about to raise the person from the dead, and the guy that was giving this illustration, he said, why didn't he just take his finger and just laser beam that rock and destroy it? That's not what he did, is it? He said to the people standing around the rock, he said, roll the stone away. Roll the stone away. He allows them to do what they can do. He allows us to do what we can do, and then he does what only he can do. But whenever he allows us to give, when he allows us to share the gospel, when he allows us to participate in what he's doing, that's how we're partaking of that divine life that we talked about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We roll the stones, and he raises the dead. So we can be like those at that story in John chapter 11, rolling that stone away. As we give readily, as we sow bountifully, as we give in a gospel way. So we will not be ashamed. 
So we will reap bountifully a spiritual life and blessings that will be spread exponentially as we partner with Christ to accomplish the will of the Father.